Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Discovering Our Purpose, and it is part of the BCC Next Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, please check us out at our website at bccma.org, or you can always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. You know, some things just deserve mentioning, honorable mentioning, and I, I just, so I got to mention, Scott Pfeffer looked really cool this morning. Did you see those sneakers? Man, that was, I got to get me a pair of those. And, but even more noteworthy than that is our very own Stephanie Hamill from BCA, or BCC, and graduate of BCA, just graduated Friday night, magna cum laude, from, wait a minute, wait, wait, from Valley Forge University. Isn't that cool? Stephanie, stand up. Give us some light in the room so people can see her. Congrats to all the great teachers of BCA and great parents, uh, Tina and Steve Hamill, and a great pastor, Phil McCutcheon. Well, I'm excited about the word today, discovering your purpose. I can't think of anything more important to talk about, more exciting to talk about than you discovering why God put you on earth. They say, that, they say that the two most important days of your life, number one is the day you were born, number two, the day you discover why. That's what we want to talk about today, discovering why God put you on the earth. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2, and then we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4, because they were just really continuations of the same thought. Ephesians 2, 1, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Kind of lays the stage, doesn't it? Then he go, Then let's jump over to Ephesians 4, and we're going to read verse 7, verse 8, then 11 through 16. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people. Everybody's not called to be one of those five, but everybody's called to be God's people. To prepare God's people for the work, for works of service. There again, the word works. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its, the word work again, whereas does its work. So we want to talk today about God's wonderful strategy of showing you your purpose. God has a way of showing you your purpose in the world. You are unique. You are amazing. No, 
Nobody else in this room has your fingerprint. Nobody else in this room has your voice print. Nobody else in this room has the print of your iris. That's why they can do identification by the iris. Nobody else in this room has, a, has your DNA. Your DNA is, your, is unique, and it will never, ever be duplicated again. God has a very special plan for your life. Amen? There's a certain uh, species of caterpillar that they actually hook onto one another, and they all go in the same direction. So some scientists one time was just wondering what would happen if they, if they got these caterpillars going in a circle. Would they ever stop? So they, they, they got the, the caterpillars on, a, on like a rim of a, 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 a vessel of some sort, uh, a jar or, or, or a vase of some sort, so it had a, a large enough rim that they would fit. So they got them going in a circle around the rim of the jar, and they wanted to see how long they would do it and if they would ever stop. Much to their surprise, the caterpillars eventually starved to death going in circles. They did not have the ability to unhook from following the crowd, following what everybody else was doing. Some of you might be that way today. You can't, one of the reasons you can't discover your purpose is because you just keep following what the world is telling you or what society is telling you or what someone else is telling you and you're not stepping back to get in tune with God and his voice for your life. Now, my own mindset for ministry in the church has changed quite a bit over the years. My, my heart was right, I believe, from the very beginning. My intentions were right. But I would say over the past decade or so, maybe even more so over the last five years, I'm glad I live long enough to have this change of mind, that I begin to see ministry differently as far as people in the church were concerned. And with a very pure heart, I think the way I saw ministry 30 years ago was that God had called Sherry and I to build a church. And we were looking for people to help us build that church. We were looking for people who felt called to help us do our ministry. And the Lord began to deal with me and show me that even though, yes, God wants to bring people alongside us to help us, but what the church's job is not just to recruit people to help the pastor and his wife or the pastor and his family, or the pastor and the leaders and the other staff. God didn't just call, call the church to be a place where leaders would get people to help them do their ministry. God has ordained the church to help the people in the church discover their ministry. Discover their ministry that they bring under the authority of the leadership of the church to build up the church. But, but you have an identity that is greater than just being somebody who makes the pastor look good, which, which I hope you will do that. That's a good thing to do, but there's a lot more to you than that. So turn, turn to your neighbor and say, there's a lot more to me than that. <sighs> so the scripture says that we read today that you've been saved for good works, that, that God has prepared for us. Um, Ephesians 2.10, uh, and then again in Ephesians 4.8, it says we've been given gifts Ephesians 2.10 says we, we've, we have good works that have been prepared for us. Ephesians 4.8 says we've been given gifts. And Ephesians 4.11-16 through 16 explains that God puts us in the company of, of other believers and leaders 
and, and underneath leaders and in Christian relationships where we discover our gifts and do those good works so we move into the purpose and the discovery zone of what we're here in the world for. I want to give you three keys to finding your purpose. Number one, find yourself in Jesus. Ephesians 2, 1, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. I've read it before. I'm going to read it again. It is the gift of God, not by works. Notice where it starts. It is by grace that you have been saved. The, Christ, the Christian life, as Watchman Nee says, and I've quoted it about a thousand times at least and from, from the pulpit, the Christian life does not begin with a big do. It begins with a big done. God doesn't call you just to serve him. God calls you to be in re, a relationship with him. God calls you to be his child so by grace are you saved. God doesn't put one ads in the paper needed, help people to do my work. No, no. God nails his son to a cross so you can be saved. So finding your purpose starts with being saved by grace. Somebody say amen. amen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God. Now notice the last part of the verse. We don't quote the last part of the verse very much. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Very important that we don't put the cart before the horse. This is always in scripture. The grace that you are saved, affirmed, confirmed as a child of God, and then your purpose is revealed after you find yourself in Christ because you do not truly know who you are until you find yourself in Jesus. You don't truly know who you are. You don't truly know your gifts. You don't truly know your, 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 your life. You, you've not gotten yourself straightened out. You've got to, you know how they do on the airplanes and they, they tell you before you assist anyone else, if this cabin loses pressure, before you assist uh, a small child with you or someone else, put the oxygen mask on yourself. Well, that's the way grace works. Grace works. Before you try to give grace, God wants to give you grace. Before you try to bring others into the glorious liberty of the children of God, you come into the glorious liberty of the children of God because God is not here just to use you. God is here to work through you. And there's a huge difference in God's in someone using you and someone working through you. Being in Christ is a bell that is rung constantly in the New Testament. But we rarely stop to think about it. It's a scripture over and over again. In fact, when I researched to try to find out what it meant to be in Christ, I found very, very few, very few commentators had really thought, talked about what does it mean to be in Christ. But if you read the New Testament, you will see that phrase over, I don't know how many times, probably 20 or 30 times at least, you find the phrase being in Christ in the epistles. The phrase, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it to you this way, the phrase being in, in being in, it defines where your life is spiritually, emotionally, and morally located. Let me say it again. It defines where your life is spiritually, emotionally, and morally located. You know, we, we will say he's into, he's into golf, or he's into sports, or, he, or, or, or she's into crafts, or, 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 or he's in, they're into cooking, uh, uh, whatever, we, we mean someone has ensconced their life in that, in that arena. See, every one of us, here's the deal, every one of us base our values and our priorities around where we've decided to be spiritually and morally and, and emotionally located. 
No man lives to himself, the Bible says. We, all human beings, we outsource our standards. We outsource our standards. You know the old saying, of birds of a feather flock together. You become the, like the community that you commit to. You become like the community that you commit to. That, that's, just, that's just a thing. See, we can be, you can be spiritually, emotionally, and morally located in a lot of places. Now, nothing wrong with being in these places and nothing wrong with caring. In fact, you should care about all these places that I'm about to mention to you. You should be invested in all of these places. But that's, it's different than when you say, that's where, that's where I get my values and that's where I get my standards, and that's where I get my beliefs. It's very different. So you can, some people, that's where they're at. Some people are spiritually, morally, and emotionally located in their, in their town. We call these people townies. Every town has them. Menden has townies. These people that are townies, nothing matters more to them than their town. Nothing has value more. If, if something, if something uh, changes their town in a way they don't want it changed, it's a sin. They, they develop that as a standard of sin. If, if they can have, uh, be elected to a position or have notoriety or, be, or, or get it, make the papers as doing something great in the town, then they feel worthwhile and their life is valuable. Well, a Christian is someone who has relocated their value to the center of the heart of Jesus Christ. And what he thinks of me, and what he believes, what he feels, and what he says is value trumps everything else in my life. Other places that people get spiritually and emotionally and morally located are in a particular social group, an interest group. A political party, we all know people, that their political party determines value, the success of their political party determines whether they have, whether they feel good today or they feel bad today, how things went in a, on a political issue, determines whether they have, whether they, whether they feel up or they feel depressed, or they feel victorious or they feel defeated, everything is about a political decision. A believer, a serious follower of Jesus Christ, has relocated their emotional center, their spiritual center. They've relocated in the person of Christ. That's why we can say, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. All things have become new. Let me just give you another reason that we, that we outsource our standards and values and emotions. We don't have them all by ourselves. We look for a higher authority. If that authority is your town, if that authority is your social group, if that authority is your political party, then I already know what you believe the minute I find out what you're, who, you're, who, you're in, where you're, who you're in with. When I find out who you're in with, I already know what you believe. Right? Yeah. Right? So, so, you should know what I believe because you know I'm in with Jesus. You should be able to study Jesus and you, you should know what I think. And you should also know how to challenge me because you know that if I get off base, if you will challenge me with Jesus, I will humble myself and listen to you. That's good. I, I, I just made that up. 
But I don't see a stool, a three-legged stool up here. I was going to pick it up. Anyway, uh, my friend, psychologist friend Steve Light says, said to me many times when we talk about systems theory that the two-legged stool is the most uh, unstable thing in the world. Two-legged stool doesn't, doesn't work very well, right? So what, what do you want? You want to add a third leg to the stool. When you add the third leg to the stool, it feels stable. That's why we have, you know, in, in psychology and in, in, in systems theory, you have this thing called triangles. It's when I'm, 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 uh, I'm relating to you, and maybe things aren't going very well, and we're having a disagreement. I need to go find a third person who will affirm that I'm right and you're wrong. And, and which is Stephanie. Right. <laughs> and so, so we, that's why we create these triangles, because we're looking. Well, that, that's the way you're wired. You were wired like that. And I'm telling you, if you want to find your purpose in life, make the third leg of your stool Jesus. Make it Christ. Make it the Lord. Amen? Now, I want to quickly, I'm going to break this down into three reasons that you need to find yourself in Christ. First of all, only in Christ can your sinful identity be removed. Romans 5.10, for if we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Every other religious system has a system of merit or works. Even those systems that I mentioned, all those things that I mentioned, social group, county groups, political groups, they all have a system of merit that, that, that offers something that resembles or approximates salvation. Well, Christianity is the only system I know. It's the only system that I believe exists that does not offer me a system of merit. It does not offer me a system of works to have my sinful condition removed and to get approval. But it's simply by grace, simply by an act of grace, by a, by a declaration of grace from the cross of Jesus Christ that I one second am, am, am guilty as sin and the next second I'm pure as the driven snow because Christ has come and switched identities with me. Amen? When we accept his sacrifice on, on our behalf, he switches identities with us. He becomes the sinful man on the cross. And I become the righteous man walking the earth. That's my identity. And identity is necessary before purpose. The second thing that Christ, finding yourself in Christ, does for you is only in Christ can our sinful tendencies be correctly addressed. Now, I've been delivered from sin, but I have not been delivered from sinful tendencies. Spend the day with me. You will find that I still have sinful tendencies that I need constantly addressed in my life. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 says, God saved us and called us to a holy calling. He hasn't called us to be lousy. He hasn't called us to be unholy. He hasn't called us to be sinful. He hasn't called us to be in bondage to all kinds of addictions. He hasn't called us. That he's given us a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages begin. So Christ, only by Christ being the standard, Christ being the person, then you can help me with my sin, ten, sinful tendencies. Only in Christ can we understand what theologians call the cruciform life, which is that our life 
is like our life identifies with Jesus going to the cross. The cross is our metaphor for all of life. It's our metaphor. If you are a serious follower of Christ, the, the cross is your metaphor. When suffering comes, I've been trying to help somebody the last couple of weeks and talk to them on the phone and text messages back and forth, trying to help them to understand suffering because they're afraid of suffering. And none of us like suffering. None of us want to suffer. That, that, that's, that's an unhealthy way to be. But on the other hand, if you understand the cross, then suffering can always make sense if you understand the cross and how to not only believe in the cross as a, as a place to find your salvation, but you also embrace the cross as a pattern for daily life. Thirdly, only in Christ can your purpose be marked by the supernatural and the eternal. You try to find your purpose and you don't find yourself in Christ, you don't have the supernatural power of God to help you through the suffering of life. You don't have the supernatural power of God to pray with a person. One of those powerful things you can do and go through your life is to pray. I, I really enjoyed in small group, in our, our community group, the group I ran, uh, um, Darcy Shramack. I don't know if Darcy's here. I saw Jim a while ago, but I know Darcy, you out there, Darcy? Uh, Darcy uh, has a ministry of prayer at her work. She's, she's known there as someone who will pray with you. So she's constantly just sitting at someone's desk and saying a prayer with them about whatever's going on in their life. I don't think we realize what an amazing thing that is. That's only possible if you find yourself in Christ. And I did it when I worked. When I worked uh, for the company I worked for when I first came to this church 30 years ago, 30-something years ago, uh, that's something I began to do. And I began to find I could I began to find no matter how swirly and cynical people were, they were always open to prayer. They were always willing to let me pray with them. And I prayed with, I prayed with people on the job. And it's something, it's something well, if, I didn't, if I didn't have Christ, who would I pray to? Who would I pray to if I didn't have the supernatural power of Christ and also those times in your life when you're just empty. I love this story in Luke chapter 5. The disciples had, uh, had fished all night and caught no fish. And they were exhausted and they were tired and their boat was empty and they were empty. And Jesus comes along and there's this great little passage of scripture at the beginning of Luke 5. I think it's verse 2 or 3. Jesus didn't say anything about, well, what, what happened, guys? No fish. He gets in the boat and he starts to teach the crowd out of this empty boat of frustrated, tired disciples. Fished all night, caught nothing. They were, they were wor I mean, think of their mental state. It would be like if you worked all week and didn't get paid. They didn't know how they're going to pay their bills. They didn't know how. They didn't want to go. They didn't go to. They didn't want to go home and talk to their wife. Say how how to go. Well, we didn't, we didn't make anything today. But Jesus spoke out of their emptiness and their brokenness and their weariness. The supernatural Jesus still had a purpose for their life. How many of you just understood what I just talked about? Huh? 
huh? When you're in Jesus, when you're in Jesus, you're going to go through all kinds of horrible things. You're going to have bad nights and bad days and bad weeks, and you're going to, you're going to, you're going to, you know, you, you ought to, you ought to come to, you ought to preach when you've had a, you know, you think it's tough to have a fight on the way to church when you have to just sit there. You ought to, you ought to, you ought to have a fight with your wife and have to get up and preach. I'm glad Jesus, I'm glad Jesus speaks from empty, broken boats. <laughs> I mean, somebody out there, somebody out there would want to go find another church to preach that at, because that's a good sermon. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I just love that, that, that God in the emptiness and brokenness of my life. Is, if I'm not in Christ, how, how do I do that? I, I can't do that if I'm not in Christ. If I'm not in Christ, my world is all about how my day's going, how my week's going, and if things are going as they should go. But again, I'm in Christ. I'm in a different place. We've been raised together to set together with Christ, Ephesians says. We've been raised together to set together with Christ in heavenly places. I don't, I don't work for victory. I work from victory. Amen? Do you want to give people eternal hope? then locate yourself in Christ. The people you love don't just want to be cured of cancer. They want to be cured of death. So, well, my purpose is to cure cancer. Well, that's great. I mean, that's awesome. And that, 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 that well, I, I would certainly applaud you if you could do that. And that would be, that would be an awesome purpose. But you know, you would still, if you, if you, if you cured cancer, you're still falling short of the glory of God. Because if you're in Christ, you can cure death. And everybody that you know is more afraid of death than they are of anything else. And you have the answer. You have the eternal message of eternal life. So, so don't start to your path of discovery with self-discovery. Start it with Christ's discovery. All right? So if you want to discover your purpose, find yourself in Jesus. And that brings me to the second step in finding your purpose. See yourself in the church. See yourself in the church. I, now listen, I'm just here preaching the Bible. I, I, I'm going to stick with what the Bible says. This is how the Bible says you find your purpose. If you want to read uh, somebody with a bunch of letters after their name and they'll tell you a different way, that's up to you. But I'm telling you how the Bible says you find your purpose. Ephesians 4.11, he gave some of the apostles, prophets, evangelists. You've read it before. You can see it on the screen. That's about being in the body of Christ. And 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says it very succinctly. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is part of it. See, I don't believe loneliness is the absence of people in your life. I believe it's an absence of people in your life who are driven by the principle of purpose. If you want to find your purpose, join the church. Get involved in your church. It is the biblical way. You know, back in 2015, video game designer Marcus Pearson, or Person, um, who was, by the way, the creator of Minecraft, and he became very, very rich from that. Uh, I don't know what he's doing now, but in 2015, he owned the most valuable property in Beverly Hills. And back in 2015, 
he, he tweeted a whole bunch of very negative tweets, and one of them went like this. It said, this, this is a sad tweet, hanging out in Ibiza, Ibiza is a resort in Spain, resort city and town in Spain, hanging out in Ibiza, Ibiza with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I've never felt more isolated. I've never felt more isolated. I'm telling you, the Bible says God puts the lonely in families. And the family that you need to, you need to be more worried about this before you worry about your purpose, worry about your affiliations. Worry about your commitment. Before you worry about what you're commuted, committed to, now this, this, is, this is really good preaching, even if I do say so myself. Before you worry about what you're supposed to do with your life, before you worry about what you're to be committed to, take care of who you're to be committed to. Now, now I, know that, I know that's not the word on the streets or anything, but it's biblical, and it's right. Uh, in a sports team, you know, in team sports, how do you learn your position? You don't learn your position by staying home watching videos. You're not going to be sure what your position. Now you may have an idea if you're if you're five foot eight, you're not going to be the center on the basketball team. So yeah, that, that's pretty pretty. That's right, right? Correct, Jeff. If you're five eight, you're probably not going to be the center. So you may have some idea from your body size and things you know about yourself, the position you will play, but you don't really know your position until you start going to practice, until you get to, to the coach evaluates you in the way you play with others, the way you relate to others, you discover your position on the team, you discover what you can do and what you're good at. Every once in a while, you'll, you'll see a team, a guy who looks out of place size-wise, but you find out he can play the position. You find out he fits, he works, somehow it works. It's, it's, see, and this is scriptural. Elisha, Elisha, if you read the scripture, here's this interesting little verse. It said, Elisha washed the hands of Elijah. And that's weird, isn't it? Was that his purpose? To be a hand washer? Later, now if you know the Bible, you know this is true. And some of you, I realize you don't, I'm not putting you down for that, you just haven't read it yet. But you're going to, right? You're going to read the Bible because it's great. Uh, but, uh, but Elijah ended up doing twice as many miracles. I mean, Elisha ended up doing twice as many miracles as Elijah. He became a superior. When he, when he finally entered into his purpose for what he was to do, he was outstanding. He was better than the boss. But he didn't commit himself to the what before he committed himself to the who. He committed himself to Elijah. And there's a great story. I wish I had time to get into it. But you can go on in, in uh, First or Second Kings. Go read the story of how he joined himself with Elijah. Uh, also, we have Joshua and Moses. If you read, there's a little scripture that says, Joshua, the assistant of Moses. 
Well, you know, that wasn't his purpose. His purpose wasn't to be the servant of Moses. That wasn't what he was put on earth to do. He was put on earth to take the children of Israel across the Jordan River and walk around the walls of Jericho and see the walls of Jericho fall and march them in and take over the promise. And that was his purpose. That was the what. But the who was Moses. Are are you getting what I'm saying today? Who are you committed to? Who have you joined yourself? Who are you serving? Well, what am I getting to do? No, who are you serving? Am I, am I offending someone right now? Getting very quiet in here. Scares me. I don't like funerals that much. <laughs> Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas goes and gets Paul. Come with me. What are we going to do? I don't know. Just come with me. <laughs> Well, that wasn't his, his purpose in life wasn't to be Barnabas' friend. That wasn't Paul's purpose, was to be Barnabas' friend. Barnabas wasn't as great as Paul. Barnabas wasn't as talented or brilliant. He didn't have the IQ that Paul had. He didn't have the anointing that Paul had. Paul's purpose was to write the New Testament. Paul's purpose was to give us the revelation of grace that Barnabas didn't even understand. But he went with Barnabas. And he was committed to Barnabas. I tell you, th- th- I- I'm excited about this because I believe somebody's going to get it today. I really do. What, say, what am I trying to do? I want to move you from being a fan to being a player. <laughs> Fans have fun, but players have purpose. An- another great analogy is I want you to go from tourist to traveler. I'm, from, I'm sorry, got that backward. Travel. Uh, Yes, I got it right. Tourist to travel. (laughs) That's the problem. We've become tourist. You know, in in this book, there's this book written back in the 1960s uh, that I plan to do my summer reading. It's called A Guide to Pseudo-Events. It's called The Image, A Guide to Pseudo-Events in America. A guy named Daniel Burstein writes this book, and he points that out that over the past half century, in a that we have, we have moved, or a century and a half, we've moved from being travelers to being tourists. The old English noun travel was originally the same word as travail. And it meant trouble, work, torment. No wonder we don't want to be travelers. No wonder we'd rather be tourists. But that began to change in the middle of the 19th century. Some entrepreneur came up with the idea of marketing travel as an adventure. Thus was born... The tour. The very you won't believe this, guys. Unless you unless you're reading it, unless you read it before, the very first tour took place in 1838. A group of people from Wadebridge, England, traveled by special train to the nearby village of Bodmin, and there they got to have the fun of watching the hanging of two killers out the train window. They never even got off the train. That was the first. That was the first tourism in the world. And so now we have this whole industry. You even travel to made-up places like Disney World. There is a lot of travail at Disney World. I've been there. <laughs> but you know, we, we, have, we have tourists in the church. They go, they go from church to church. And they experience the worship teams 
and the pastors and the greeters and the children's ministry workers. And they go give evaluation. Boy, that was good. That was bad. That was mediocre. That was, uh, on, on a scale of one to ten, that was a five. They're tourists. God didn't call you to be a spiritual tourist. God called you to be a traveler with a bunch of saints. It's messy. It's difficult. It's travail. It's agony. But God called you to be a traveler and not a tourist. How many of you want to get delivered from being spiritual tourists? Amen? Number three. Engage in the process of discovery. Ephesians 4.13, until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Notice it talks about maturity, so it means discovering your purpose is a process. Everybody say process. It's a process, becoming mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See, this is why I don't place a lot of stock anymore in spiritual gifts test. You know, Rick Warren said one time he took a spiritual gift test, and it came out as having the gift of martyrdom. He said he wasn't too excited about that because you only get to exercise it once. So I'm not a big, we do them sometimes. Sometimes they're helpful and strength finders and different things. We do these things. They're helpful. They have their place. I won't try to defend them right now because I do think they have their place. But really, you know how you discover your purpose? Is you start doing stuff. Get involved. You're like the guy with the dog. The dog's in the water. And what if he said, you know, I have the gift of teaching. I'm going to have a class on how to get dogs out of water. Well, everybody gather up here in the bank. I want to teach class. See that dog out there? I want to teach you how to get him out of the water. And, and, and what if the guy who jumped in there, you know that last guy, that guy, that hero guy that jumps in and he helps? And what if he said, well, you know, I have the gift of administration. Therefore, um, I wasn't consulted when this whole project started, so I'm going to go to another d dog drowning <laughs> where I can get in on the ground floor and I can be the administrator. Listen, if you'll jump in the line and get the stupid dog out of the water, we'll find out if you're an administrator or not. We'll find out if you're a teacher or not. We'll find out. But help us get the dog out of the water, please. <laughs> Scott Adams, who made Dilbert, said, he, he said, I had all these different jobs before I became the creator of Dilbert. One job he said I had was a loan officer. And he said, one thing they taught us, don't loan money to people who are following their passions. <laughs> loan money to people who want to start a business, and the more boring the business, the better, they said. You know, I believe in passions. But we've made an idol out of passions. And we've made that the key to how you know your purpose is what is your passion. I'm telling you, your passion may not be your purpose. 
The way you find your purpose is you do stuff, and you help out, and you see needs, and you meet them. Whether you think you're gifted at it or you think you're not gifted at it, see a need and meet it. The Bible says a man's gift makes room for him. You don't make room for your gift. Your gift makes room for you. Your gift will finally come to the surface and somebody will elevate you, the gift that you have, and you may not have the gift you think you have. You may have a passion for something, then you should do it. You should do it as a part of your life. You should do it on the side. But it's not, it's not what you're really gifted at. I have passion. I, I, I love to play golf. But I'm not very good at it. I can never make a living at it. Follow the need. Let other people outsource your sanity. Let other people tell you what you're good at. That's how they did it in the Bible. They didn't give a spiritual gift test in Romans 12. The body got together and did stuff, and they all said, You're good at that. When you talk, we really want to listen. Would you talk some more? When you organize, when you organize, it really works out. When he organizes, we all, we all run into the ditch. So next thing we do, you're going to organize it. But how do we find out? We find out by letting somebody organize that's terrible at it. <laughs> right? I hope you're having fun out there today because I'm having fun up here. I want, we're going to watch a little video. It's a, it's a few minutes long, so Mike... Take us a little over, over the time I wanted to go. But I really felt, what I said this morning, I felt like I needed to say it. So I don't apologize. Um, Nicky Gumbel, and this, this is, of course, he's, he's, Nicky is, is British. and He's the vicar of HBP, I believe it is, church in London. Or outside of London. And I love Nicky Gumbel. Many of you, some of you have been to Alpha. Alpha's, Alpha, he created Alpha. Somebody say yay for Alpha. Here's he says, and he's gonna, he, I'm going to play the video of him in a second. He said, the only way to find your purpose is to give it a go. <laughs> That's very English, right? So, so I, want, I want you to listen. I, I felt this was important. It's, it's like five minutes, but I thought this is really so important. Nikki says it better than me And when he talks about how he found his purpose. Roll the, roll the tape. What is your part? Turn Some it up. you here might say, I know exactly what my part is. I, 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 this is my, my role, and I do it, and I know exactly what it is. If you are, that's unusual. Most people would say, I'm not quite sure. I'm just trying various things. Some of you might say, well, I've never tried. I'm new to this. Maybe you, you did Alpha last term. I'm thinking of our amazing Alpha small group of people who've just come to faith in Jesus. What's your role? Try something. If you've never done Alpha, I really recommend you try Alpha. Just 10 weeks. Give it a try. Be willing to have a go. That's all it takes. Be willing to have a go doing Alpha. If you've never been in a connect group, be willing to have a go. They run in terms. Just 10 weeks. Oh, I've tried to connect you. Try another one. Be willing to have a go. If you've never been on a team, be willing to have a go. Try things out. Yeah. I'm now the vicar of HDB. I wasn't born the vicar of HDB. I didn't wake up one day and go, oh, I'm going to be the vicar of HDB. Yeah, I, I, when, I, when I encountered Jesus, when I was 18 years of age at university, I wanted everybody to know what I'd experienced. 
Once you know Jesus, you want everyone to know that, don't you? But I didn't know how to go about it. What I did think was, well, I, I can invite them to things. I'll invite them to church. I'll invite them to, to the equivalent of Alpha. But I found the only way to get people was to give them food. So I, I, I just became a cook. Not a, not, in fact, a terrible cook. But I, I, used to, I spent three years, basically. The number one thing I did was cook. I just I got an electric frying pan. And I, made, I learned how to bake a cake in an electric frying pan. <laughs> Nikki Lee and I shared rooms together, and I did the cooking and he did the dividing. We used to go to Sainsbury's, and in those days, tins had wrappers around them. They don't have that anymore. And when the wrappers had come off, the shop didn't know what was in that tin. So they'd put them in a basket and they'd sell them off really cheaply. You could buy several tins for about 10p. So that's what we used to do. We used to invite people around, We'd get a whole lot of tins, and we'd hope we got a main course and a pudding. And we would do it like that. One time, we gave them spaghetti bolognese. I got half a pound of mince and 20 pounds of spaghetti. I put all the spaghetti into one bowl and put some water in, and it became one jelly thing. We had to carve it like that <laughs> into, into spaghetti. Another time, I thought I was going to give people spaghetti bolognese, and I thought, what's the cheapest meat I can buy? And I bought something called lights, which turned out to be stomach lining. And it was revolting, and there was lots of stomach lining going on. So, yeah, I wasn't very good at it, but I tried it. And then I tried... So when I left university, I, there was a place called The Kitchen, which is a lot of people like the start of what was happening at HCB. And I did the washing up there. I loved the people there, and I wanted to be involved in this kind of Christian community. So I, every night, I was doing my bar exams at the time, every night I just went there and washed up. And actually, I, was, I enjoyed washing up. I'm not very good at cooking. I love washing up. <laughs> so I did that every night. This is a way of... I tried other things. I tried, I tried things to do with the homeless. I tried, I tried teaching. I tried, I, we used to run a course here called Lighthouse. I was a lighthouse tutor, and I used to mark the essays. One time, Nicky Lee came round and he read the comments I'd written on the essays. And I've never seen him do this before or since. But he was laughing so much he couldn't stand up. He was on the floor, rocking like a baby, <laughs> laughing at the comments I'd written. I knew I was not suited to be a teacher. <laughs> I try, I've been trying being a mentor, but nobody who's come to me to be a mentor has ever come back. So, <laughs> so I know that's not my thing either. You, you try things. I, I, I tried Alpha, and I found I loved that. I'm on my 82nd small group in a row. I've kept going with that one. <laughs> but I think it's only as you look back, you can say, oh, maybe that's the thing. But you don't know in advance. Often we're in a fog. We, don't, we think everybody else knows. They don't. We're all just trying to find our way and exploring, but you've got to give it a go. And you've got to know that... God does have this specific purpose, and you will look back on your life if you keep going, if you keep trying, and you'll know that you've found it, and it's matured as you go through. October a year ago, uh, a whole group of us, like 10 of us, that are part of the staff, went away to something called Catalyst Conference. And... Uh, it was really good. We heard all kinds of great speakers and stuff. 
And we all went back to the hotel, and we split up into groups. The Compassion New England people went to one room, and the rest of us stayed in the other room. And we all, it was really interesting, because both groups came up with this idea. We're talking about our church. Both of us groups came with this idea, and I didn't like the way it sounded at first. We can change the dynamics of our church if we will shrink our auditorium, create a cafe space. Now, here's what's interesting. We came back together to compare notes, and we had both come to the same conclusion without any consultation, without talking about, talking about it. Now, so we've been kind of germinating that idea for a year, uh, for ever since then. And so Easter Sunday was our first Sunday to try it. Because how many of you know that one of the keys to reaching people, Now, I wish everybody in the world was as spiritual as you are, because you're so spiritual, it wouldn't matter what we did. You would be in the mood to hear from the Lord and worship and, and all that. But, but we want to reach the people who aren't as spiritual as you. We want to reach the people who are farther away from God than you are. Right? Wouldn't that be a good idea? Amen? Amen? Amen. Is that what God has put us here for? Yeah. Or has God put us here just to reach the mature people like you? No. God leaves the 99 to go after the one who is lost. This is the principle of the Word of God. So we knew we have this problem with our parking lot because if, if this place is even close to full, people drive away, and it happens every week. Someone drives away because they couldn't park. So on Easter Sunday, we tried it. We set up the cafe in the back, and we tried it. And I, like I said last Sunday, I was joking. That even the introverts were telling me how good it was because there was something about how the room felt it was better and we didn't have any parking issues and we realized this is what we really believe what we leaders we have talked hours about this and I've even driven down to a sister church in Hartford Connecticut great church they run about 2,500 they're just knocking out they're just knocking out of the park down there and um, I had I spent some time with those guys and asked them about well do you think this is a good idea they affirmed it. So we've got all this affirmation. And then you affirmed it by the way you responded on Easter Sunday. So there's, there's just not any doubt in our mind that this is what God wants us to do. So that means we will go to two services. Sometime at the end of this series. A 9-15 service, an 11-15 service. What does that have to do with this message? What does that have to do with finding your purpose? We need you to step up. We need you to step up and get involved. We need you to get involved in ushering and greeting, maybe in cho- with children's ministry for sure. Um, uh, all kinds of areas we need you to get involved. We need you to sign up. We need you to join the church. We need you to become a part and say, okay, whatever I can do. Yes, we, we, we care. You may have a gift that's that not quite your gift mix where, where you need to serve, but the dog's in the water. The dog's going to drown. So we need you to help us keep the dog from drowning. We need you to get involved. We need you to give yourself. And you know what? You need it. You need it. More than we even need it, you need it. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, God wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all men. 
there's, there's something spiritually wrong with me if I don't desperately want my church to grow. I'm not in sync with the Word of God if I'm not willing to get involved to help the church go to where God wants it to go. Would you say amen? amen. Now our, our prayer partners are going to come right now. And maybe you're here this morning and you haven't found yourself in Christ yet. Listen, if I can stand up here with two people, a man and a woman, and stand up here with two people, and I can share a charge and vows with them, and if they simply say at the end of the charge and the vows, I do, and that makes them married, it's a miracle. It happens all the time. I perform this miracle quite frequently. Some of you are here today. I performed that miracle over you. You said, I do. Now you're married. You even have babies. and Fill the church with children. It's awesome. Well, if that can happen in the natural, it can happen in the spiritual. That if you will stand before God and say to Jesus, I do. I do accept Christ. I do make him the Lord of my life. You can go from being alone to being joined with the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're here today, you don't have to tell anybody. We're going to have a lot of people come up here to pray, by the way. So nobody's going to know that it's your first time to accept Christ or you're, you're coming back to Christ because you've gotten away from him. Any need that you have, financial, relational, any need you brought to church today, these prayer partners are here to pray with you. I'm going to pray a quick prayer. When I'm done, come, pray, take communion. You don't have to be a member of this church to take communion if you want to take communion, you want to feel closer to God, take communion by all means. We do serve yourself communion, which I know is different, but we invite you to do that and we can explain it to you later. Father, in Jesus' name, God, put it within our hearts. Put it within our hearts to be the church of Jesus Christ. Let us find ourselves in Jesus. Let us become a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And God, let us give ourselves to service and to meeting the needs of humanity. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's enter to response time, folks.